is not something new, but it's something that we are excited to to try. And if it can work for us, we think that it could work for anyone. This is episode 275 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. On the far western part of the state within the Appalachians is Garrett County, Maryland. The mostly rural community has been working for the past few years to improve connectivity after the region has been neglected by incumbents for decades. Cheryl DeBerry and Nathaniel Watkins from Garrett County joined Christopher this week to talk about the community and their project to improve connectivity for businesses, institutions, and residents. In this discussion, Cheryl and Nathaniel describe what it's like in Garrett County, where some premises have no internet access at all, and how their progress so far is already improving conditions in Garrett County. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in Minneapolis, and today I'm speaking with two folks from Garrett County, Maryland. Cheryl DeBerry is the Natural Resources Business Specialist for the county. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And we also have Nathaniel Watkins, the CIO for the county. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Garrett County, Maryland. Uh, Cheryl, let me start with you and just uh, tell us a little bit about Garrett County. Is that right over there, right around D.C., Baltimore area, or is it somewhere else? Doesn't it sound like it? No. um, (laughs) We are actually about as far away from uh, our uh, capital as you can get in Maryland. We're in the westernmost part of Maryland. We, if you look at a map of Maryland, you know, there's that part in the west that sticks out into West Virginia with Pennsylvania above. And that's where we are. We're as far west as you can go in Maryland. And we're in the Appalachian Mountains. We are rural and mountainous and um, have many different challenges than the more urban parts of our state. Nathaniel, could you just describe for me a little bit what the broadband situation is in Garrett County? Absolutely. It's, it's slowly getting better. Uh, historically, We've, uh, we've always kind of been behind the, the curve a little bit in terms of broadband. To give you a little, little background, uh, when I first started with the county, we had a, a about 128 kilobits to the Internet, so we're running on an ISDN circuit powering the entire county and paying exorbitant uh, amounts of money for that. And it wasn't that long ago, actually, that uh, we, were, we were running on DSL, so we had a, a 7 meg connection running our entire government infrastructure. Um, more recently, the, the state's invested a lot of money uh, to bring some fiber to the community anchor institutions, as they call it. So we have most of our buildings on fiber. I would say probably 90% of the county facilities, and that includes some things like the hospitals and schools, uh, those types of things. And we now have gigabit internet at the government level. So we're trying to figure out ways to help some of the residences that are still struggling with very poor internet options. Uh, there's a lot of people that basically have to use um, a satellite uh, connection and also cellular hotspots that have data caps. So I would say probably 30 to 40% of our our population, our residents uh, that live in the rural parts, are dealing with those situations now. Now, Cheryl, you and I were at the uh, event in Marietta, Ohio, talking about broadband in the Appalachians. And we're going to talk a little bit later in the interview about what you all have done in Garrett County. But I'm curious for people who, (laughs) I mean, a lot of people living with broadband that's higher quality than you're describing for 10 years, and they may have forgotten, and they may have not even have a sense of how important it is today to have that. You know, why is this important to get better broadband access out to the residents? And I want to stop you there because we're not just trying to reach residents. We're actually trying to reach businesses as well. Can you imagine running a business? you know, in the year 2017 without 
um, broadband service, and we have several businesses that are like that throughout our county. So um, just wanted to put that plug in there. Right. That's a very important distinction. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just the social aspects of broadband, like social media and being able to connect to news stories and sources as they are are happening in the world. It's being connected to family members who are in, um, you know, other jurisdictions. It's being able to access healthcare through telemedicine. It's, it, it hits a bunch of different parts of, you know, anybody's life. Um, if you are trying to look up and find a part for a tractor, if you're a, you know, a farmer, you know, that's all online now. And, you know, it's very difficult to exist in this year and not have that connectivity. Well, and Cheryl, let me start with you, and then I'd love to get Nathaniel's reaction to this also. But one of the things that we're seeing that's a bit worrying coming out of the Federal Communications Commission is a sense that if you have 4G LTE, then you might have everything you need already. Um, and there's also further concern that we might see satellite being legitimized as a appropriate point at which if people have satellite, we don't need to worry about them anymore. How How do you react to that? A lot of people are existing with those as the only option. And I say exist and not thrive because both of those options have pretty limited data caps and uh, pretty severe penalties if you go over those caps. You know, when you're talking about a rural area with a low-income area, um, with limited job growth, um, limited population growth, you know, we're not talking about people who are, you know, in an urban area that can, you know, find a job pretty easily. We're, we're in an economically depressed area, and that means that not everybody has, you know, 150 bucks to spend on Internet every, every month. My mom lives just over the border in West Virginia where there is actually no cell service. There are great vast swaths of Garrett County that don't have cellular service. So the only option she has right now is satellite uh, internet. You know, she's a farmer. She's trying to sell her hay online and, um, you know, advertise online. And, you know, she doesn't have much um, capacity to do that uh, with, you know, the basic satellite service. And Nathaniel, I'm curious how you react to uh, a sense from some that that 4G LTE is sufficient. Sure. I mean, I would use the analogy of saying, you know, I need a vehicle to get to work. And they say, well, you can, you know, you can run an expensive bicycle. It's, it's an option. It's just not, not really realistic. So I would encourage anyone that, that feels that way uh, with the current technology out there with, with the cellular and the satellite is to try to live on that yourself. Once you realize you can't do video calls, it changes how you can experience, uh, you know, streaming media, all those things. It's really not the same internet. Uh, so it's really a different, a different class of internet that you're getting. That being said, it's not to say that those couldn't be solutions. If there was, you know, an LTE solution that offered truly unlimited bandwidth and you could get 15 or 20 megs, that would potentially do something in the rural areas. And if you had satellites, not as they exist today, but if you had low-orbit satellites that could provide high-speed, low-latency, that could be a technology that may help. But the fact is it's not, it's not here and it's not on the immediate horizon. Uh, so we have to do what we can to, to get those people using the same class of technology. 
One of the things that I know you're doing in Garrett County is investing in some fixed wireless. Um, I know that you've been working with Joanne Hovis. Um, she's uh, uh, very impressed with uh, both your organization and your dedication to solving this problem. Um, she's mentioned you many times. And so I'm curious, you know, where did this project come from and, and what exactly is it doing? Great to hear about Joanne because she's been um, a huge part of our project um, in helping us figure out you know, what to do and, and how to reach our businesses and our residents. Um, basically, back in about 2010, I'm going to say, our county commissioners, the, the three um, county local officials, asked the Economic Development Department, which I'm a part of, you know, what are the top economic development initiatives that we could do to make the greatest impact on, you know, the people of Garrett County? The highest and by far the highest was to expand broadband availability for, um, for everyone. So you know, once they looked at that list, they agreed and they said, okay, how are we going to do that? So we were able to find some grant funding uh, through the Appalachian Regional Commission matched with county funds to hire a consultant. And we ended up hiring CTC Technology and Energy with Joanne's team to you know, basically tell us what's the best way that we can reach more people with um, minimal broadband and, um, you know, how can we fund it? How can we get it done? I, I just wanted to, I want to interrupt for a second to note that, that in my mind, the, the ARC, the Appalachian Regional Commission, providing money to help you study it is one of the best uses of philanthropy that we see to, to improve broadband around. And I just wanted to note that Appalachian Regional Commission has been essential for improving broadband in many parts of, of the Appalachians, and it's worth just noting that. So, um, so please continue. Oh, I agree. And that's not the end of the story with ARC at all with our project too. So, um, so right. So after Joanne came back with this wonderful uh, plan that said, hey, I think that we can reach our citizens and our residents and our, our businesses with um, this new technology, new in quotes, TV white space. And, you know, first we're looking at it, okay, does this really work? And um, then we're looking at it, okay, if it does work, then how are we going to get it done? So, um, you know, the commissioners decided that the plan looked feasible. The plan looked like it would um, do what we hoped it would. And we started, again, looking for more funding to start implementation of that plan. The plan included us working with us, the county, working with a private provider to be the network operator. Basically, the, uh, the county would purchase infrastructure to offset the cost of our network operator to to be profitable in the county where no other operator is expanding because it's not profitable to go, you know, uh, three miles to the next customer. So we went back to Appalachian Regional Commission and asked them for phase one uh, project area, and they gave it to us. So again, the county matching dollar for dollar the investment by ARC. We have since gone back to ARC twice more, and so we have three phases of the project in three different targeted areas, and we are in the implementation phase now with our partner, which is Declaration Networks Group, DNG, we call them, out of the end of Virginia. And Nathaniel, can you tell us a little bit more about the technology and what kind of capacity are end users getting from the network? Sure. So we have a mix of technology being used we have fiber optics that the county has access to that kind of operates as the backbone 
and it goes to various various locations, whether it's the roof of the courthouse or cellular towers or towers we've built. Uh, at that point, we transition to a wireless network, and we're using unlicensed spectrum uh, exclusively, so we're not using any licensed frequencies. We're using <clears throat> 5 gigahertz uh, wherever possible, uh, simply because it's, the equipment's uh, less expensive and it's fast and it can go long distances. And in scenarios where we don't have great line of sight or near line of sight, we transition to the TV white space technology. Uh, not as fast throughput, uh, but it penetrates really well. So a lot of times we'll, we'll have scenarios where there's just too many, too many trees in the way, uh, or maybe a hill, and then we'll transition to TV white space to get that signal to the end user to then provide service and share with the, uh, you know, the neighbors basically in that area. So primarily those are the two different technologies we're using once we transition to a, to a wireless infrastructure. And what kind of capacity do you get? In particular, I'm always curious about the TV white spaces in the real world. Best case scenario, I would say you can probably get uh, 20 megabits of throughput on a single channel. The FCC uh, just started allowing people to start playing with bonding channels together. So we've actually been doing that with DNG uh, and our manufacturer. So we've bonded channels, and that will essentially, I believe you can do up to three bonded channels is where they're at right now. So that would theoretically give us a throughput of about 60 megabits. And again, that's best case scenario once you start getting some uh, some trees in the way. that. But I don't think it's unrealistic to say you could get a 40 meg connection uh, on the TV white space with, with some bonded channels and some kind of real world variables thrown in the mix. And what about the five, uh, the five gigahertz uh, stuff? Uh, there we're, we can get a lot of throughput there. So it's, it's not a big deal to push you know, 100, 150 megs without any trouble. And if we have a customer that needs a lot more, uh, we can we can tweak some things there and probably blast out probably close to gigabit if we needed to. So, Cheryl, you've been working on this for, I mean, it sounds like at least seven years. Uh, what have you found over this time period in terms of the level of service in the county, um, in terms of how many people have it versus what you see in federal statistics? So at the beginning of the project, back when um, PTC and Joanne's team was you know, was looking at, you know, what, what was the current situation. You know, the FCC had their numbers, and I think it came back as, you know, we, we the county, being covered by some number like 60% or maybe even more um, with already with broadband, um, minimal broadband um, coverage. And I honestly do not believe those numbers. Um, but, you know, being on the ground and looking around and seeing the actual situation here, you know, the way they – they did that, as I understand, you know, if, if one person within a census tract was served, then they counted that entire census tract as being served. And I think that is, you know, a, a flaw in that in that data. Um, you know, I, honestly, I don't have a good idea of exactly how many people have and how many don't. We have a couple populations of Amish and Mennonite folks in the county that may never want to get uh, coverage at their homes. So, you know, do you count those as covered or do you count those as not? Um, we also have, you know, some areas of the county that, as I said, don't have cell service, don't have, um, there are parts of the county that are so rugged and, and, and near the, the steeper slopes that you can't get satellite service either. It, it's a difficult question and I'm not sure I have an answer. Yeah, we've been working on this since you know, 2011, but we didn't start deploying until basically last year in 2016. 
before that, we were securing the funding. We were working on the network design with DNG. That takes some time and, you know, doing the propagation studies and working with the vendors to negotiate some some good deals on the equipment. And so, you know, actual deployment didn't start until last spring. And so within a year, we're up to a little over 210 customers, both mostly residents, but a few businesses interspersed in there, and even one very small school. One of the other things that I understand that the county's doing is laying fiber where you might be able to um, help a, a different company, not DNG, but, um, but another company that might be offering service to make it more feasible for them to expand to a new neighborhood or something like that. Can you tell me about that program? Absolutely. So we've reached out to all the incumbent ISPs to try to figure out areas that are close to their network and places where they'd like to expand. They just need some help, whether that's financial help. Uh, we found that most of the time it has to do with easement access. We've come up with a plan basically that says, hey, the county has a lot of right-of-way access that we do for road maintenance. So for our roads, we have varying distances from the center line that we can do whatever we need to, and we can use that right away to install conduit. So we did that recently for a small company, um, you may, may have heard of them, Comcast. So we actually worked <laughs> very with them. Very small, yeah. Very small, yeah. Uh, so we worked with them recently where they, they wanted to build, and they just said it's not cost-effective for us to get the underground work done, and the, the easement problem was just, just kind of a deal-breaker in this one area. So the county basically offered to install conduit for them. Uh, basically, we would provide the labor, the equipment, the manpower, and Comcast basically provided conduit and then some spare conduit that we could then use later if another ISP wants access to the same the same path we'd have conduit available that we could let them utilize as well so that was a process to get all the uh, all the bumps ironed out in terms of, of working with them but uh, once we started installing the conduit I think it was a maybe a three-day project on our end uh, it lit up another uh, approximately 50 homes and there, there are a few businesses in there uh, didn't have any real hard costs to the county other than fuel for the equipment, those types of things, and Comcast is turning them up now. Right, and actually that reminds me, that's one of the things, Cheryl, you said at the NATOA conference in Seattle, um, was that, if I remember correctly, you, you didn't, it didn't really cost you anything because you had the equipment and you kind of just used some of the, the, the public works folks when they weren't otherwise occupied. Is that right? That is correct, yeah. We were actively uh, checking in with the other local ISPs that have similar problems, so we're hoping to turn this into an official official program where ISPs can come to us, explain the business case and what they're trying to do, and our goal is to help help them expand as much as possible as well. I want to come back to a final question, which is something that I think is really heartening, and that's, uh, sure, I get the sense that in Maryland, um, whether it's the governor's office or the legislature or perhaps even federal representatives from Maryland, everyone seems to be talking about broadband now. Are, are you seeing that? I am seeing that. And um, they're not just talking broadband, they're talking rural broadband, which has been very refreshing. Our governor has created a task force for rural broadband. Uh, this summer they've been working on a plan to help rural jurisdictions reach more of their residents and businesses, um, which has been amazing. Uh, the folks on that team are um, doing some really good work, and I can't wait to see what comes out of that. I think it's due uh, next month, I believe. And, you know, our, our representatives have been supportive. Our State Department of um, information technology has reached out to us 
as well as the governor's office to ask, you know, how can they help? What what roadblocks are there? Um, one of the things that we were hoping to do with our project was to use some state-owned assets. So we have all of the county assets that we can being utilized, um, including like the fiber that Nathaniel was talking about. You know, we wanted to you know get our antennas up on some state towers, state communications towers, uh, so that you know, we could reach further uh, and reduce our costs. So if a private business wanted to come here, um, nobody's doing it because it's insanely expensive to reach a very few number of customers with limited, um, you know, ability to pay for the higher speeds. So if it was profitable, somebody would have come here and done it. And so we're trying to make it so that it is profitable. And the way we do that is reduce those infrastructure costs. So working with the state to get on some state towers, working with the county to reduce costs for, for easements and right-of-way issues, you know, it's all part of the grander plan of, you know, just trying to get more people connected. Great. Are there any closing comments, Nathaniel? I'd just like to reiterate Cheryl's point that the partnerships have been uh, invaluable. So coming from a technology side, I tend to downplay the people involved. So the technology is kind of honestly takes kind of a sideline on this. It's really about working with other other jurisdictions, state, federal, other nonprofits to really, really get stuff done. That part's been great. Excellent. Any, any final comments from you, Cheryl? I'm just excited to share our story. It is not our idea. It is not something new, but it's something that we are excited to, to try. And if it can work for us, we think that it could work for anyone. Great. Well, thank you both for taking time to, to tell us more about your, your corner of Maryland and, uh, and also for, for being so dedicated to solving these problems for your community. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much for having us. That was Christopher with Cheryl DeBerry and Nathaniel Watkins from Garrett County, Maryland, discussing their Internet Infrastructure Initiative. We have transcripts for this and other Community Broadband Bits podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other ILSR podcasts, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can access them on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Never miss out on our original research by also subscribing to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle licensed through Creative Commons. And thanks for listening to episode 275 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. <laughs>